0: Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can and will change the world. Oh, so many of you have been listening to my podcast lately where I've been focused on leadership. And leadership uh, it could be an art, could be a science. Leadership could be a a force of will, of wanting to help change people's lives and contribute to their flourishing. Leadership could be so many things that it isn't today. And one of the things uh, I like to pursue are people who are on the cutting edge of that conversation. People who really believe that trust, purpose, and belonging can actually be part of the leadership DNA in an organization. And there's a practicum there, right? There has to be a practicum there. Leaderships aren't just created. Sometimes they're nurtured and developed over time. And so there's this interesting conundrum, right? How do we create human flourishing and business flourishing in the same sentence? And uh, one day um, I see a, um, a broadcast on, on, on uh, social media around a woman who has spent evidently her professional life pursuing this idea of human flourishing. And um, and it started, it looks like, and we'll have a conversation with her in a moment, but it started with her own burnout in our organizational cultures that we have today. So I want to introduce to you Sally Clark. Welcome to The Great Conversation.
1: It's such a delight to be here with you, Ron. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Uh, By the way, if you look Sally up, which I'll be providing you a link, she's not only an author of two amazing books, but um, I actually wanted to ask her how she sleeps at night because she shows up and manifests her heart and her mind and her know-how. I counted at least five or six different businesses you're involved in. (laughs) your podcast, your human leaders, your coach, your writer, editor. Sally, how do you sleep at night?
1: Well, you know, Ron, it's a a great question. I actually was a finance lawyer uh, about 15 years ago. I was working at one of Europe's top firms, and I certainly didn't get very much sleep in that role, which led me to that catastrophic burnout, uh, collapsing at an airport in France almost 14 years ago now. And That was a huge lesson in so many different things. One of them being get sleep, take rest. So interestingly, I now seem to probably wear a lot more hats than I did at the time, but I also prioritize my well-being in such a way that I am able to do so. And that all of those things that I do uh, contribute to my sense of sort of nourishment in my life. Well, I got
0: to tell you though, um, Burnout's almost a personality trait. Would you agree? I mean, I I see these personalities who, who want it all. They want it all. They 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 can't imagine a day that isn't filled. Is that part of your DNA?
1: You look it's certainly. It's interesting to think about it in this context. And I I, I feel personally, you know, I did a lot of research in those books around why burnout happens, and particularly, really quite selfishly, I wanted to know why I had been through burnout so that I could prevent it from happening again. And what I learned through that research, firstly, primarily is that burnout is not the individual's fault. Now I will caveat that by saying that some of us, looking at myself, it's kind of type A personalities who tend to be all in, uh, you know, it's not all or nothing, it's all or all. Um, We go hundred percent at things. And of course that makes us more susceptible to the chronic stress that causes burnout. But for a lot of us, it's also because, you know, when I stepped back from that, we're not born with that belief that I have to give everything, that I have to hustle, that I have to just run, sprint at everything at all times. So it was certainly, you know, there's a little bit of, I think, the the, the way we talk about work in our society, the way that hustle culture is really venerated. And then obviously within organizations, there can also be sort of toxic, very competitive environments and, you know, unhealthy forms of leadership that kind of, you know, encourage us to lean into that kind of almost obsessive behavior, which then, you know, almost inevitably results in, if not burnout, then some other health issues or just a miserable life, which I don't wish upon anyone.
0: Hey, let me, let me see if I can summarize what you just said. There is, there is a human type um, that has the ability and the capacity to, to, fill their schedules with things they desire to achieve. Mm-hmm. That can that can be some, that can uh, end up in a form of burnout, but the burnout you're talking about, the one you're focused on is really um, probably has many different influences. One could be societal, just the way yeah. we've structured society and making a living. It could Absolutely. be, and, and, and that and making a living could be contribute to a lot of things like, I have to work six days a week or I'm not going to be able to pay the mortgage and, and pay child care and pay this and pay that and pay that. So you start looking for hack jobs at midnight when you're still doing your eight to five job and so on and so forth. So yeah. there's societal environmental burnout. Is that the one you primarily see?
1: Yeah. You know, it's a great question. I think, you know, everyone who's listening to our conversation right now is probably in some way familiar with the concept of feeling chronically stressed. And by that, I mean, busy in a way that you just feel like you can't actually keep up with things. It's a really uncomfortable feeling for humans. It can kind of keep us trapped in certain behaviors because in somewhere often in our brains, we have the idea that if we just hit this next deadline or we just make it through to the next vacation, then things will somehow change. But they inevitably don't because our circumstances don't because the cultures in which we operate at work and beyond don't. And so it becomes something that I think, you know, it, it almost becomes normalized for a lot of us. This is just how it is. Work is stressful. Life is stressful. And, you know, I, one of the gifts of my burnout was really, I was forced to confront the fact that what I was doing was making me miserable. And I really had to question, you know, what am I, wanting from my life? What matters to me? And I, you know, starting, especially as I get older, you know, starting to see examples of, of, of loved ones who had, for example, retired at 65 and then passed away at 66, having expected retirement to look a particular way. And these kind of lessons to me were just signs that I really didn't want to live my life in a way that I was delaying the impact that I want to have as a human. Um, And I acknowledge a lot of privilege in that as well. You know, I know that for a lot of people, there's limitations in choice. So this is part of my mission, I think, also, is to really try to talk about these topics and help people find ways, even if they're small ways, to shift life more towards thriving, towards authenticity, and uh, to getting enough sleep and these kind of basic things in our lives that can actually help us feel more present, more connected with each other, and, you know, happier to use a super huge cliche as a result.
0: <laughs> but this, this gets into an interesting question and don't want to go into the dynamics of HR policy and regulations and compliance. Let's Let's throw that to the side for a second. It's a very real thing. Mm. But are you finding, and this is on both sides of the equation here in this relationship, so employees and their leaders do you find one of the obstructions is they're afraid to have a great conversation that touches on their whole lives personally professionally and in the context of the tribe otherwise known as a business are they both afraid of that conversation
1: absolutely and i love i love that you're bringing our attention to this cuz i think you know fear is a major driver of a lot of the behaviors that we see in the workplace and i think there is, you know, from an employee standpoint, there's a fear of losing face, losing a job. We have this kind of, we want to show up. There's quite a, often quite a competitive environment. So we want to make sure that we're seen to be performing well, always happy, a yes person, which can, and you know, really override our boundaries, for example. And then often leaders have a sort of a similar, maybe a flip side, but it's this, this need to appear strong and to be a good leader and to uh, be meeting the needs of stakeholders and and you know not showing vulnerability in that way, and so this is one of the things that I think is so much of shifting those kind of cultures feels very counterintuitive to us because from an evolutionary perspective, humans want to you know we want to appear successful. That's often been you know historically that's been a good way of us surviving. So it's almost like a survival instinct to continue to do that, whereas. What I you know, I love really reading a lot of the science, and I love you know every year we get a stack more research that shows that when leaders are vulnerable, when leaders uh, build healthy communication skills, show empathy, ask questions, listen actively, not only does it impact their own lives as leaders, it impacts their employees' well-being. It actually drives higher productivity and more engagement. And I think it's gonna be a while before our work cultures really catch on to this because it feels so far removed from how we are have done things and still are doing things. But for me, that's exciting to start to see that shift in that direction. It gives me hope.
0: Well, you and we do need hope. Um you just touched on something. So I I I've been student of mental constructs. I'm born into a family in a certain situation. I start seeing the world through my parents' eyes. Mm. Then I'm sent to school. And I still think schools are somewhat of a manufacturing plant for to be employees, uh, rather than actually contributing to a a, a life. So now we start creating a worldview out of our education. And then we hit the, the world. Yep. And I have to make a living. And what do we do? We've been taught in school that everything's by rote, by memory. All I have to mm-hmm. do is memorize and understand the critical success criteria for my teacher to get that grade I need. Now I'm going to do it with my employer. What does the employer want out of me so I can get paid more? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm-hmm. So we end up in this mental vortex, if you will, and wonder why we feel we're in a vortex. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so when you say the word successful, I immediately go, maybe that's the last thing we want to be. But then I go to your other world word, which is contribute. So, if I think of us in a Darwinian tribe, Mm. Maybe what I really want is to feel a contributing member of a tribe for my own sense of security, self-worth, you know, and so forth. I, I'm trying to break open the construct whether success means I've just done well in my job or just done well in you know for my family by buying a house or a car or whatever. You see what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. And there's so much to unpack in what you just said, Ron. I think, you know, one of the things that I, that I I love is I really agree vehemently that the education system as it stands trains us to be loyal employees, but not great humans. And I think if we could start to build in some different subjects and some different components of our education, including self-reflection, including communication skills, we'd, we'd already start to see quite a significant shift. And, you know, I think also that we forget often as leaders that as we humans need to feel seen and heard. We need to feel connected. These are basic human needs and they're as much existing in the workplace as they are outside of it. And I think we can really start to you know, shift the idea of what work can mean to a person when we stop it being something where we're exploited or extracted from where we're performing almost and shift it to being something that is a component of how we meet those basic psychological needs. And again, there's a lot, you know, a whole raft of data to show that that is something that improves company culture, improves outcomes, and you know, it's yeah. I mean, I could speak for hours about it. I think how you know sad it is in some ways that we go from you know singing and drawing pictures and doing so much cool fun stuff when we're like you know in kindergarten we just go and have this blast, and we end up doing learning things by rote and regurgitating information, and that's certainly what I did in you know my law degree. It was absolutely, you know, I'm very privileged to have that degree. It was a great way of sort of learning some cool skills like negotiation and argumentation and analysis. I'm not, I have no regrets in doing it, but had that sat alongside some reflection on what my values are, what the contribution is that I want to make to, to, to the world around me, what really matters to me. So I could connect more with my own authenticity at that early stage. You know, I think if we think about that, then, at scale, the shift we could see in our societies as well in how people not only show up to work, but show up to being a citizen.
0: You know, so funny. I, I'm a root cause kind of guy, right? I, I know that 80% of the stupid stuff uh, that my behavior results in starts in the first 20% of the process. And that, <laughs> that's, that's a manufacturing thing. It's called statistical mm-hmm. process control, mm-hmm. right? The Pareto Principle. of the stupid stuff happens in the first 20% of a process. And Mm -hmm. so when I first came across the fact you had written, hey, why don't you protect your spark? Why don't you not wait till burnout happens? Why don't you tool yourself so it never occurs? Mm -hmm. I was fascinated by that. And it kind of is a segue from what you just talked about. How do I first acknowledge that there's such a thing as a spark?
1: Well, that is a beautiful cusping on philosophical question, which are like my favorite. So I'm really glad you went there. You know, for me, it's this sense of, um, you know, after I was a lawyer, I actually trained as a yoga teacher and taught retreats in Morocco and Portugal for a while. So it's almost this idea of what we call namaste in a yoga class. The divine light in me acknowledges and recognizes the divine light in you. So, spark to me is this kind of innate, unique you know, aliveness that we each have in each of us. And it's something that, uh, you know, few of us are given the skills and and the parameters and the boundaries to actually acknowledge and then to protect through our working lives. And yet it's, you know, and it's so easily snuffed out by overwork. It's so easily snuffed out when we're not living our lives in sort of alignment with who we truly are. And so for me, when I started to, you know, the reason I wrote that book was really to say to myself, okay, if I could go back to that person, that Sally, 15, 16 years ago and, and help her support her to shift her trajectory in such a way that she would avoid burnout. What would I say? What would, what information would I impart with her? And, and it really came down to, and this is going to sound very hippie, love yourself fiercely and prioritize your well being accordingly. That doesn't mean you can never work hard again. You should, it's a beautiful thing as a human to work hard and to collaborate with people and to build something that's bigger than the sum of our parts but if we override and or, and ignore our own needs and the signals from our body and the you know these these basic needs that we do have for sort of rest and nourishment then we're not doing ourselves or anyone else a service fiercely protecting our spark is it's a bit of a rebellious act but it's also a really generous act to the world around us
0: now we're getting back to the word whole Because there's this interesting, in our minds, I I think it's an illusion, but in our minds. How would work ever be sacred? How would taking care of our mind, body, heart, and spirit be sacred? How do you converge those into a whole person? And I think it's, if we want to say, we'd love to crack the code of that. Because if we can crack the code of that, we can teach leaders how to lead. We can tell, teach founders of businesses how to construct a business for that kind of flourishing. We we can do all sorts of things, but I haven't seen anyone crack the code on that. Mm-hmm. Help us crack the code, Sally.
1: <laughs> let's do it. Honestly, my lawyer brain is like frothing right now at this idea. Let's 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 do this. Let's on. Un- yeah, you know it's a huge one to solve, and I can't help but think that you know it's. One thing I do often see that for leaders, it, it's almost we have to almost go through this um, difficult time in our lives, whether it's a burnout, whether it's some other kind of something that, you know, pushes us to transform and to evolve in a particular way, we sometimes need to go through that hard and I mean, through and not around that hard phase to start to see what matters to us, how things can be different, uh, to have that almost aha moment. And I think it is going to take some visionaries to also have the courage to really override the the prevailing narrative about what work should be. You know, I had a conversation recently with a friend about how there's so many memes online about how bad work is and how hard it is. And they're often really funny, but I think they're also, it's getting to the point where I'm like, we need to stop just deciding that work is bad and give up. I think that there is absolutely space for work to be something that is a space for humans to evolve, to become better versions of ourselves, to feel more connected. And when there's so much of our world, you know, geopolitically that is beyond our control. And yet as leaders, we can actually control a lot of the things about how we work. Isn't there space there to actually create a a unique environment where people can feel great about themselves, feel connected and contribute to something beautiful.
0: This, This gets really interesting. Okay. Because I think, given where we're at today, societally, and the fact there we haven't cracked the code, Mm-mm. the first thing we need to do for our people is help them um, teach them, if you will, the only thing they can control is their mind and attitude.
1: Yeah. That's
0: the only thing they can control. Yeah. And and the great some of the great warriors that have been through prisoner of war camps that studied the Stoics and Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus all survived because they controlled what was in their mind, even though they didn't have control over their bodies. Right. So this idea of no matter what circumstance you're in, you're still, you're still, you still were designed in a beautiful way, in a unique way. You do have a purpose. And part of that purpose is to, live within the circumstances you're in so you can take the lessons from it into the next thing in the next chapter. So we got to teach that while we're not giving up hope of teaching a next generation of leaders how to develop flourishing companies and flourishing people. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I I think if I'm understanding correctly, it's almost like you know, really seeing what it, where is our locus of control? What what can I actually control within this situation? You're very much accurate in saying that. You know, often there are situations where it's actually quite limited. But you know, one thing that I think has is just feels like an innate part of myself through my life is is always looking for the what can I change? And I have to acknowledge a lot of privilege in that as well. Like, I there's 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 ways that I there's levers that I can pull as a middle-class white woman that I, I know not everyone has access to, but it's, it's, it's really being, you know, I, it's almost like I'm kind of allergic to a victim mentality <laughs> to the point where I don't, I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm starting to blame circumstances because that just limits my humanity. That's really doing a disservice to this one precious life that I have. If I can focus on what I can control, even if that is an, you know, in the in the challenging times in my life, it really is about going. You know, whether it's meditation, whether it's my diet or mindset, or these little things that I can tweak, but focusing on those things so that you know it it, it teaches us that, that that there's a lot of power. I think in that in that mindset. And then again, if I'm understanding correctly, it's like that 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 then I think empowers us to start to drive the change in our organizations and to shift cultures as well. I think also we often underestimate how much we actually can control. And we're told by society, by media, that we should focus on external things and we don't actually have that much autonomy or agency in our lives. And I think we need to question that a lot more than we currently do.
0: Oh, oh, Sally, you're just singing my (laughs) <laughs> singing some sheet of music. Um, I just got done. I'll be publishing it actually today or tomorrow. Um, I just got done with a podcast with a gentleman who just wrote a book. It's called Invisible Generals. Mm. And um, and it's a story of his great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, great-grandfather and grandfather who happened to be born uh, of people of color working their way in a forest Gump-like way through the, some of the major events of history. Mm. Civil War, World War One, World War II, West Point, one of the first Black men to ever go to West Point and be mm. shunned. And what his lesson in the book was, what he learned from this multi, multi-generational stream is exactly what you just said. I have more control than you can ever imagine in fact they used to say to him grandson infuse to defuse that is you don't realize the power of your performance in these situations that Mm -hmm. other people will pick up on and of course Mm -hmm. we'd see that in martin luther king right we'd see that much later you perform this way with integrity yes you're going to have to fight all sorts of extraordinary circumstances but perform with integrity infuse to defuse the system work Mm. within the structure you find yourself in and i thought that was amazing and so true don't give up on yourself or work because of your circumstances
1: such a powerful message and I can't wait to listen to that episode and it just really for me it's it's one of the reasons why I really you know we talk about leadership within human leaders but it really is leadership is something every single person on the planet can be showing because it simply means that you're having the courage to align with your authenticity to stand for what matters to you to keep an open mind and an open heart and 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 that I think is we can even if it only impacts the downstairs neighbor or the the person we interact with at the supermarket today, but it's like these small ways that we can actually have impact. Yeah. I think it's very easy in our current context to get really overwhelmed by all kinds of messaging around, you know, the negativity in the world. But when we start to own that agency and also very believe, you know, very much believe at an intrinsic level that who I am matters um, even if no one sees it, (laughs) then I think we can really start to, to, to have a, a powerful ripple effect.
0: To grow your business, you need to grow your people. That's Sally Clark. This has been a great conversation. I hope each of you, one, go to her website, which I'll be putting in the podcast blog, as well as consider purchasing her book, Protect Your Spark, and as well her follow-on book, And that is relight your spark. One is about preventing burnout. The other is about healing after burnout. Sally Clark, what a great conversation.
1: Been such a pleasure, Ron. Thank you so much for having me here. (laughs)